Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Very excited today. Uh, I think I can say my good friend, even though we've only connected once, the second time. Uh, last year, Dr. Le- Dr. Lisa Miller joined us, um, and I heard back from so many of you about loving that dialogue. And I took another nosedive into her work. Um, she released a book in 2015 called The Spiritual Child, and given where I'm at in life, I was just like, oh, this is this is such a necessary conversation, and I feel like it's a necessary conversation for our community here at Good, True, and Beautiful. So I reached out to her people, and they said she would be glad to come back on, and I am so thankful for her kindness and generosity to join us again today. So with that being said, our good friend from the Northeast, Dr. Lisa Miller is here. Lisa, welcome back. So I am so thrilled to be back. I just love your profound, radiant spirit. You <laughs> felt sense, you know, I know that we listen to podcasts, but you light up the room. You really <laughs> well, thank do. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. Um, I am, uh, I'm so grateful for you and your work in the world. Um, it's, I kind of, I, I, I get the academic world is, is I, I'm an amateur of all things, but you, uh, you make it easy for me. You, uh, one of the words that I, the phrases that I have hijacked from you is follow the data. You always say, follow the data. And, and, I, and I love that idea um, because really you combine um, things that I think I've known in my cells and my being at the bodily soul level. And then you also say, but hey, we got some data and some science here. Um, and so... I just thought, let's get on a call today and chat through this, uh, your book that came out a few years ago. I'm late to the game, my apologies, but The Spiritual Child. I think it's so necessary uh, for a lot of us today that are raising kids, and I'm just super excited to get to share some time with you today. Well, I'm thrilled, and the child is a spiritual child, whether it's 2015 or 2020 or 2050. We are eternally spiritual children as we're born, and science now really does hold up a lens to the truth of who every child is and shows that every single child, your child, your classmate, your neighbor's child is born with an innate capacity for spiritual life. And even more specifically, we are born with a capacity to be in a lived relationship with God. My word is God. Some people might say the higher power, or Jesus, Hashem, Allah, whatever our word is, we are hardwired for a transcendent relationship. And the second way in which we're hardwired, even a little child, is that that felt relationship is present in our love for one another as fellow Hmm. souls on fellow travelers. The child sees things that way. So, you know, I'll share with you an example. When my grandmother, so full of love, her name was Harriet, had a stroke in her final year of life and the stroke had left her by outward you know critical measurement um quite you know disfigured Mm -hmm. well my little daughter lila then one years old no she's one and a half she's walking she went up to grandma harriet and touched her face and looked right into her soul with a huge smile and their souls were illuminated they were connected and Lila was not distracted as a young child by the so-called disfigurement of her outer skin and of her frozen limbs. That is the child. The child sees right through to the soul. And in fact, science has shown us that unless socialized out of it, 
a child is born with what's called implicit spiritual cognition. I call it the voice of the soul. For instance, a child perceives continuity of spirit or consciousness after death, unless told, oh no, death is the end. When we're gone, we're gone. The child is born able to perceive that. And I'll give you an example. Isaiah was about two and a half when Pop-Pop, his great-grandfather, passed. And our family is Jewish. It's the practice in a Jewish burial that everyone go graveside and take the earth in a shovel mm. and cover the casket. You get it through you, body, mind, and spirit. This person is, has crossed. Yep. Yep. Well, Isaiah, too, right? was invited to take a little garden spade and put his small bit of earth on Pop-Pop's casket. And then in our home backyard, Mama, come here now. So of course we come. <laughs> Mama, look, a turkey had died and his eyes had the same radiant sparkle. The body goes to the good earth, the soul goes to God. It was a step in his spiritual realization. It was in him to be able to perceive that, to say it, to welcome it, to understand life that way is how the naturally spiritual child starts to lock in, build the pathways within the brain, know deeply that there's a word for this. We talk about this here. We talk about spirit. We talk about God. And it takes our relationship of parent and child to the very most profound level. Love that. So I can give you an example. Yeah, go ahead. My, uh, okay. I, I hope, one more story. Cause I, it, it is bring about, it on. Beautiful. Well, my, my mother was a profoundly spiritual and religious woman. So um, in our house, as we're Jewish, we keep Shabbat. You light the candles and you say, Baruch atad anoi, Eloheinu malakalam, asher kudshana b'mitzvotavit sivanim, l'habik near Shabbat, which means, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King and Queen of the universe, who sanctified us by thy commandments and commanded us to kindle the lights of Shabbat. And I'd look and my mother was weeping weeping with the tears of extraordinary spiritual love, connection to God, gratitude for the family, gratitude. We've lived one week when we please live the next. That way of being is taught by the parent. There is no book that I can pick up as a 20-year-old that ever approximates the power of who we are as parents. We are ambassadors. Yeah. We are living expressions of a spiritual and religious life. Yeah, yeah. You 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 talk about there there must be this this mirroring, um, it and it's almost like in it's a, it's an invite, it's a welcome, it's a um, it's a watch watch me do this a, a bit, but but they and they also need to see the fruit of it, right? They they need to see a peaceful spirit, a loving spirit, a generous spirit. Um, it's not just read these ten commandments, do this, get you know, obey this, do that. They need, they're paying attention to see, oh, does, do, does that lead to this? Does that help someone navigate life in a loving way? They're watching us, aren't they? Absolutely. We are the ambassadors. Every parent, whether we own it or not, we are actively ambassadors. And so the tremendous blessing and gift for us as parents is to walk the walk. So just as every child is born able to perceive that we are loved and held, we are guided, and we are never alone, that is literally our hardwired spiritual brain. Everyone has it. There's one spiritual brain, whether I'm 
Catholic, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, I'm born with the same spiritual brain. Of course, we can build it, yeah. and there's natural variability, but that's it. And if we know that, we as parents, well, let me put it this way. Every child is born a spiritual being, but by the time they're 30, their birthright is one-third innate, two-thirds cultivated, environmentally formed. We know that through twin studies, which means that our naturally spiritual child is one-third built when she or he arrives. We as parents have two-thirds. That's an enormous formative impact on the child. You know, temperament is half and half. IQ is only 40% for us parents. We are two-thirds responsible for the capacity in our child to be developed, to talk to God, know God walks with us, that we are loved, held, guided, and never alone. And Ashton, in our MRI studies, the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute at Columbia partnered up with Yale, and we came up with a in-scanner task, inviting people of all traditions to share the moment where they felt a deep connection to God, to their higher power. And again, whether they were Jewish, Hindu, Catholic, spiritual, but not religious, the same neural correlates run. And Mm -hmm. in the fMRI, we track loved and held. We perceive that God, our higher power, holds us as we were held as children in our parents' arms. The bonding network comes up online on our fMRI studies. We are guided. We shift from a top down. I've got a habit. It's got to go my way. Why didn't you give this to me, God? Why didn't you give this to me, mom and dad? Wow. No more bowling alley, top down, dorsal attention. Instead, the lights come up. Life is re-illuminated, ventral, bottom up attention. And many people say a new way pops. Loved and held, guided. Hmm. And finally, the parietal that puts in and out hard boundaries lets us see and know that we are distinct and magnificently diverse and scattered all over our beautiful world with GPS coordinates. And we are a point, but we're also part of a wave, white caps on one ocean, part of the oneness, the sacred unit of oneness, loved, held, guided, and never alone. Every child is born to see that, but they will see it when they're 20 and 30 and 40 if we as parents, the day they're born, start walking the walk and talking the walk of being in relationship to God and seeing God's presence in one another, including, of course, fellow living beings in the earth. Yeah, well said. You know, uh, one of the things that that struck me in the book is is you kept coming back to this idea of spirituality being the central organizing principle of the inner life in one second decade. And when I read that sentence, I even have goosebumps saying it right now, I was like, yes, I knew... I was part of something, capital S, pre-10 years old, right? I was, in, I was either in a backyard or I was in a forest and there were leaves under my feet and it was autumn and autumn's always spoken to me about this something is being renewed, something is happening. And I, and, and I just had a bodily feeling that I was a part of it. It was then within my tradition where I began to organize some of those thoughts. I began to make sense. All of a sudden, I had a placeholder. I had a name. I had a way to understand that belonging to the big, lovely, beautiful something, if you will. Um, And that was, when, when I read that sentence in this book, I thought, my goodness, this is a massive responsibility for us as parents to, um, 
to to there there's a uh, oh gosh what's the name of the band uh, Need to Breathe they've got a song right now where he says I'll be the banks to your river and he he's he's talking to one of his children I think he said I'm not I'm not the real river you you got your own river here but I'm going to be the banks to the river I think this is a huge responsibility for us as parents when you have the aha that hey helping water the seeds of spirituality in your 10, 12, 11, 15-year-old children, you're helping them navigate the stinking universe. This is a big deal in, the, in, in this window of time. The most important work we will ever do. Yeah. Far So it's even, Ashton, it is hardwired that with puberty, not just age, there's a surge from the inside out of the child as she or he comes of age. And suddenly their heart hungers for connection and love and the newness. And the head asks, what is my meaning? What is my purpose? Actually, what is the meaning, the nature of reality and my soul, my personal relationship to ultimate reality? That is the work of adolescence. And through the lens of science, it's marked by a 50% increase in the heritable versus environmental contribution, which means bring, whether we're telling them or not, there's a hunger and a search. And there's moments of tremendous, as you just described in your own journey, beautiful illumination. Mm -hmm. And then there's moments that feel as this capacity grows, like a half empty glass of spirituality, where the existential longing is there. They want to know God. They want to know how this universe works. What is really my purpose? I don't mean, you know, am I going to be a teacher or a lawyer? I mean, ultimate purpose. Why am I here? You know? yeah. And that is the roadmap of reality that is built between puberty and about 24. It is, it is the central organizing principle of reality. It determines who I am, therefore, in my deepest foundation, how do I treat others? If I'm a soul on earth, you're a soul on earth. And our relationship is about encouragement and commitment on a tough day. It's about forgiveness. But what it's not about is narrow online social media competition where you have more likes or he has more vacations or this person's more famous. This person's an influencer. No, it's about a deep, soulful understanding of who we are. That is not only you know, illuminating and leads to a better life. It is highly protective against the current pandemic of addiction, depression, and the pandemic right now, beyond any other risk, is, is suicide for mm -hmm. young people. The rate of death by suicide now rivals the rate of death by auto accident. So it's not just, there, there's two things that happen at once, and they come from the same core, which is the child wakes up to an inspired life where we are actually in dialogue. We are walking with God. We are in dialogue. Why did that door close? Because this one needed to open. Your path is to turn right. That's an inspired life. What it creates is a spiritual response to loss, disappointment, and the precursors of the pandemic, addiction, depression, and suicide, because we're actually teaching our children a spiritual response to disappointment, to pain, to trauma. It is, it is so important, not only for the upside, we're in a pandemic. It's the quiet killer of young kids. You know, Columbia University had nine suicides in one year. So we put an awakened awareness program at Barnard and Columbia because there was such hunger in teenagers 
who perhaps hadn't had the walk and the talk from parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, the word picture, it, when you're going through that, is I get this word picture of like roots, like the roots at this age yeah. are, are forming. And we all know 15, 16, 25, 30, the winds are coming, right? The hurdles of life are coming. Uh, but it's, it is so significant that this part of development happens, right? Or as you write, the spiritual attunement erodes. Like it really needs to happen here. It's not saying that you don't have the capacity down the road and that it is, it is the innate, innate gift that we all have. But my oh my, if, if you can help get those roots watered, nourished, um, settled in, it, it leads the child towards a grounded, steadfast, secure life. And follow the data. The data shows it. The data sure does. The data says that a teen who says my personal relationship with God is highly important to me. I turn to my higher power for guidance. That's not a theory or a theology. That is a lived, perceived, felt relationship with God. I turn to my higher power for guidance in times of difficulty. When I have a tough decision to make, I ask, what really does God want me to do? What are you showing me now? That sense of dialogue with God well, if a teen has that versus I don't know what you're talking about, no one ever talked about this, maybe something's going on. Door number one, that teen is 80% protected against addiction. DSM diagnosis of 80%. addiction. 80%. If you told me there was this little pill and I could, you know, I'd probably as a mom crush it up quietly and put it in the cornflakes in perhaps one of the best studies, a meta-analysis, less likely for a completed suicide, 82% in the pandemic, if spiritual and religious life is shared, shared in a youth group, shared in our family, where we look at each other and feel in our heart, you are a soul on earth. I don't care if you are on the front page for winning the lottery or sadly going to jail, it doesn't matter. You are a soul on earth. I don't care if you just got into five colleges or if you aren't going anywhere next year, I adore you. You are God's child, you are a soul on earth. That radical unconditional love is a form that we can perceive and know as the sacred in and through one another, right? That we're instruments, that we're like raised the sun. Well, the child who says that versus, I don't know what you're talking about, 80% less likely to be addicted, 82% less likely to take their own life. And when it comes to this sort of, you know, backdoor carelessness, driving 90 miles an hour, jumping out the second story window at a frat party, that's 70% less likely. Our kids are safer. Our kids are protected. They're resilient against very, very damaging forces. And if we don't do it, it as parents, it simply will not be done because in the air and water of our public square at this moment, in the air and water of how the public square presents itself on the kids' phones or for us adults in the boardroom or the classroom, there is stone silence on this deep dialogue, on this deep innate human capacity, which is the organizing principle for spiritual life. Yeah. It has to be us. That's right. That's right. And I and I think maybe there's some parents that are listening and they're like, um, well, I I've never had these dialogues. That really wasn't a dialogue for me. So they don't it's not really necessary for them. I, I think 
It's a gentle invitation that, that you and I want to offer into the room today that's, hey, there is a capacity there. And, and not only is there a capacity there, there's a window <laughs> for, for that capacity to, to be nurtured, watered, uh, 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 taken care of. And those are the two biggest things I wanted to chat through today was, first, aha, it's there. It's happening. The developmental conversation in these windows of time is happening. But secondly, it's a window. It's, it's not like you, you really need to um, find a way to uh, bring in these dialogues because, um, like we said, you can go down the road, but, but really, really, the, the, the roots start in this window of time. And planting seeds, planting seeds. So I have three children of my own, and two are very spiritually expressive, and one who's exquisitely open and loving is not particularly spiritually expressive, but very respectful. So even if we don't see an immediate wow or doesn't in that moment see a response, everything we do, as you say, Ashton, is deeply noted. And in fact, perhaps even unwittingly formative of the natural spiritual surge is called a spiritual individuation, a coming of age. Traditionally, every faith tradition points this out. There's confirmation, Arnbat Mitzvah, the Nipi. It's a moment where with physical coming of age, there is innately a spiritual surge of emergence and awakening. Mm. And this precious moment can be given words and lived spiritual values. We can walk by our, the side of our teens and say, you know, okay, you had a really bad day at school and those three girls were pretty mean by the locker. And, you know, your friend is having a party and you weren't invited. What does your deep spiritual heart say about this? What, in, you know, should we pray together? I'm going to let you lead this. What is your, in your, and it could be, I don't know, I don't want to talk about it. But what you've shown in that moment is in your own heart, is there a spiritual voice, a spiritual response to pain and suffering? And it could be something small, like, left out from a party. It can be something more traumatic and very much unwanted, but there is always a spiritual response. Could, could we do perhaps a, a practice that young teens really like? I've noticed they really like this. Do it. Is that I'm okay? all in, please. Great. Okay. So this is a beautiful practice. Um, it was taught to me, I always honor the teacher by the late Dr. Gary Weaver. We do this with, at Columbia University with the undergraduates, Columbia and Barnard undergraduates, and they love it as a way to tap into their natural spiritual awakening. So I invite you to close your eyes. If you wish, clear out your inner space with five breaths. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. Living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you.
And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than anything you may have done or not done, anything you have or don't have, your true, eternal, higher self. And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, God, whatever your name, and ask if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting here right now, what do they need to share? What do they need to tell you now? What do you need to know? What will they share? When you're ready, I invite you back. This is your counsel, and they are always there for you. This is your birthright, your innate capacity to be in profound, loving, transcendent relationship where you are loved and held, you are guided, and you are never, ever alone. Love that. I will share with you that I've done that with, you know, the U.S. Army, I've done that with people at Midtown Banks. I've done that with children living homeless under the Brooklyn Bridge. We all have one spiritual brain through which to receive and perceive God's, our higher power's great presence. That is a way directly in. And I've worked with very traumatized young, young people, teens, who said, I find that very reassuring to know that no one can ever take that away. So no bad messenger can ever take that away. No error, human foible, from a leader, a parent, a teacher, a coach can ever take that away. That's our birthright. Love that. Thank you for that. Um, another thing I wanted to dive into was the uh, the interesting intersection between parent and child of there's something happening within the child, but guess what? There's also kind of simultaneously something happen happening within the spirit of an adult at these ages of where we find our kids around 10, 12, 13. Uh, we, we are kind of entering our quest years. I think that's how you quote unquote call them in the book. You want to chat through that a little bit? Yes, fashion is such an important point that at every moment as a parent, we are awakening. We are on a spiritual journey, mothers, fathers, through our parenting. So early on, as you remember when your child came home, whether through adoption or marriage or you carried this child, there's an awakening. With the arrival of a child, the father, the mother is born. That is a sacred opening. And as we feel closer to, I mean, you know, once you love your child, there's an understanding that, that every living being, every child is someone's child, every child is God's child. Mm -hmm. You know, I realized when my child came home, my first child we adopted from an orphanage outside of Russia. I loved him so much. This is our spiritual son. And suddenly I looked around and I realized that God composes families and any child could have been your child, any adult, but for time and space could have been your child. We're family. 
you know, this is a family. Well, that realization is very profound in the first decade. In the second decade, as the child starts to say, what is my meaning? What is the existential purpose of life? And even, I mean, I want to plug my ears. It was so hard to hear. Is God really real? I believed it all my life, but now I need to test it and know it for myself. You know, that struggle, that in the me and not me, testing against our inner compass of the emerging adolescent, the middle adolescent, that goes all the way through college. Yep. We have a very, the name does not do justice to the search, which is we call this sophomore slump, but it's actually the foundation of deep, our spiritual map, our deep bearings for the rest of our lives. It's in the developmental depression, not the waste of time or the pothole, but the important work of developmental depression, the teen finds a deep ultimate connection to God, the mm. dialogue spirit. Well, right as that's happening, the parent-child journey continues. We hit midlife and the existential questions may not be what is my meaning, my, what is my purpose, but how have I lived out my meaning? Have I lived according to my sacred purpose? What is my footprint spiritually on earth? Our midlife quest is concomitant, it is shared with mm. the teen's emergence. So we all have skin in the game and it's a very sacred time to share together. My father did that with me. My father spoke out loud of his own quest. Um, and I share some of this in The Spiritual Child. My mother, as I shared, was very religious and freely expressive of religious and spiritual life. My father um, was more quiet, an academic, he'd sit on the back porch and read books and plays. But when his own mother died, um, I was about nine. And I woke up every day at 4 a.m. But this morning, I woke up at 4 a.m. And I saw my dad in the living room, ashen to this day. He was like in a ball. He'd, you know, sitting on the floor with his knees close to his chest, arms wrapped around his leg in his bathrobe. It was 4 a.m. And he looked at me and he chose to be transparent. He chose to bring me on his spiritual path. He said, you know, very generously, grandma was in my dream last night. It had just been within 24 hours, her crossing. And he said, you know, grandma loved to dress up in pretty clothes with jewelry and was so sort of beautiful. But in this dream, she's wearing a very quiet, everyday, plain gray suit that she often wore on a daily basis. And there we were, Grandma and I, says my dad, walking side by side down Grand Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa, where he'd grown up. My father's searching for what this means, this dream on the very day of his mom's crossing. And he says to me, nine years old, he says, you know, I, I take this to mean that grandma had always been my mother and walked with me. She will continue to walk with me. It was the most pure, honest sharing wow. of a profound moment on his spiritual path. Now I'm in my 50s. I've done hundreds of articles on spiritual perception. I know that most countries on earth, China, Mexico, honor our ancestors, know that our ancestors do walk with us. But in our society, which is far too often silent, if not even prohibitive in the public square, on the most important sacred parts of our lives, I know our ancestors walk with us. I know grandma walks with me because my father said so. In that vulnerable moment. 
yeah, living yeah. The, the hot moment like a volcano, the deep transformative moment. Yeah. That moment. Yeah. So that's who we can be. You know, my dad never asked, did you get an A or a B? He never asked <laughs> if you won. But when I think of him, I go there. Yeah. That is the depth relationship that's who we are as ambassadors is our transparency walking the walk and talking the walk of our own relationship to god our own ancestors and spirit and my mom did that every day every single day you know she would she'd go out in a car she wouldn't even bring a map i'd say mom how do we know where we're going there's no gps in the 70s there's no you know and she said well you can feel it yeah wow 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 you know and that's i i think to hear this coming from you, who I perceive is at the top of her game in the academic field, like there's Dr. Lisa Miller in the realm of psychology, spirituality, and she's she's amazing. You also go, look, I, I understand the importance of academics. Under the, I understand the importance of all these other ancillary things, but if you want to get to the juice, if you want to get to the the nitty gritty, it's the spiritual dialogue, not so that your chosen tradition can claim that they've got all the truth and, and they, you know, putting the flag in the ground and, oh, hey, we've, we've got all the truth over here. No, 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 no. It's actually an identity conversation. This is actually a who are you? This is actually you are loved, you are held, you are known, you belong. It begins there. And, and it guides you your entire life. Can I read one paragraph or one little spot? Um, the spiritual child, thank you. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you said, I know the academic, academic success game, and I play it well. My husband and I drive three hours a day so that our children can attend a school known for its whole child curriculum and academic rigor. I'm grooming my children for the A train to success, which will carry them smoothly, I hope, into their 20s. That said... I'm also acutely aware that the A-train goes absolutely nowhere important uh, if the child lacks an inner compass. My greatest fear for my children is not that they'll miss the A-train, but that they won't know what to do once the A-train arrives at its destination. So good. That, that is the truth. It is the deep inner compass. And this, we can invite our children in decade one and in decade two to trust the inner compass. In fact, if I, I, in the spiritual child, I get into much more detail about things we can do as parents authentically in our own voice, in our own faith tradition or outside of faith tradition. But there are foundational ways that we can help our children strengthen the spiritual compass. You know, give the sacred terms and names with a little child. You know, one of the most important things we can do is name the reality all day long. Tow truck, banana, apple, right? Yeah. What about ah, I feel God's presence in my heart? Ooh, see the sunset? God is saying good night. What you know, giving a voice to the deeper truth. You know, why do you think Jimmy, of all people, was placed next to you at circle time? I know Jimmy has a hard time saying still. I know sometimes Jimmy's picked on. Maybe you're Jimmy's trail angel. You were there to help him along and protect him. So giving the events of our lives a deeper understanding to the child. The second thing we can do in the first decade and the second, but have to start in the first, and I'll you know, start at home, point only at myself, <laughs> is that we're not perfect, right? We are just not perfect as parents. But when we make mistakes, we have extraordinary opportunity to teach the deeper spiritual response. 
So I'll give you an example. I'm exhausted at one point. I had three kids within three years, a miracle after waiting five years with many tears and prayers. So here's our beautiful three kids in three years. And they're like a little buoyant posse and they're all in the back in their car seats. And it was such a blessing after so many, a tale, really a, a trail of tears. Well, we get to the Starbucks and I'm so tired. I, I'm literally like tripping over myself and someone left a baby chair out and I trip over the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the chair and I break my arm. I'm so tired, oh, no. right? And I am embarrassed to say that I was not that gracious about it. And I was a little harsh with the barista for leaving that. And I realized, you know what? In front of my kids, I was discourteous to the barista and the cosmic clock always runs. I was just not so kind and understanding to, you know, fellow traveler, God's child. Okay, guys, we're all in the car. We're headed home and I have a decision to make. What is the most important lesson for my children in this moment? So I turn the SUV around. <laughs> I drive back. We go back to the start with my little posse of three, you know, and I go up to the barista with my kids and I say, I'm so sorry. I was discourteous. I'm exhausted. And I'm just so sorry. You, you, you know, you did absolutely nothing wrong. I apologize. And the barista says, Oh, of course he remembers. Right. He looks at me and said, thank you for, mm -hmm. for saying that. He said, but actually I want to tell you, it's fine. You're actually one of the nicer ladies that comes through here. Well, what my and next time, of course, now we're friends. Yeah. yeah. So what my kids saw is that when there's a human-human disruption, I've made a mistake, I have been unkind, I was short-tempered, I need to fix that. But that's only the first lesson. The second profound lesson is, and then I can fix it spiritually. So I say to my posse, okay, will you join me in a prayer now that I've apologized to that guy? Will you join me? And I say in my language for me, uh, dear God, please forgive me for being short-tempered to your child, the man at the Starbucks. Please renew my love to all people. And may we walk with you in our heart. May we serve you in love. So they all hear Full and circle. know. Yes. Now there's bigger disruptions than a tough day at the Starbucks in their life. <laughs> And the take home forever is that they need to be fixed first relationally, but then they need to be fixed spiritually. Hmm. Both are always present. Both our relationship to one another, but as God is in that, our relationship directly to God, both forms of relational spirituality. And Ashton, they share the same neurodocking station, over 80%, the circuits through which we feel a connection and know a relationship to God are with 80% overlap, the circuits through which we feel God's presence and our care and love and guidance for one another. They're both relational spiritual. And every tradition knows this. As I do unto others, so I do unto you. Yeah, yeah. Well, as informed, so informless. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I love that. Imminent transcendence. Yeah, yeah. My, oh, my. Well, this has been so helpful. Um, and as always, your, your generous spirit, um, you're, you're such a good teacher. Um, you, you can take really big things and make them simple for a guy down here in Texas uh, to understand that's trying to raise two little girls to know who they are and what they're up to in the world. Um, so to Ashton, you're very kind, but I want to jump in here and say I've been many times to Texas, 
And there's a notion of being a city on the hill where we speak openly, where we walk a walk and talk a walk of being in relationship to God or a higher power. And I've been to many, many talks I've given on this science, on the spiritual child in Texas. And I have seen people on the edge of your chair thinking, how can I help the world? How can the science mirror ways of action, points of intervention? There is such a walk of spiritual service Hmm. in Texas. So I want to say this guy in Texas is the perfect guy (laughs) with him to have of who we really are in an ultimate sense. And science, of course, mirrors this truth as a form of witness. Science doesn't prove spirituality. Science bears witness to the truth of who we are as spiritual beings. And when we realize our birthright, who we can be to one another and how we might flourish. Mm. And with that being said, we will put a bow on this. Dr. Lisa Miller, thank you so much again for joining us just know you've got an open seat at our table anytime. And uh, I'm super grateful for you, your work, your friendship, and uh, hope we can do this again sometime, maybe next year. What do you say? would love to come back. Thank you for sharing the science and the spiritual child. And I hope the spiritual child is a roadmap for people to use on their own terms. It doesn't tell us how to parent. It strengthens who we are as we use our own spiritual compass in parenting. Love that. Well said. Till next time.